London. Very last night. I know I was drunk and Jim Drake, the same way the boys. Now I need to tell you some of the beginnings of OA as I experienced them. And then I asked them to I appreciate the things that Dick has said and other people have said about him. But I sometimes think it might be kind the same as an exhibit A in the antique division of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's about it. Well, I got to go back to some of my beginnings. I started drinking when I was in school. I came to Harvard in New York as my native town. Went to private school there, and I started drinking. And last year, I seemed to hold it under control pretty well. And I did get off on a royal party one night. It was a military school, and we had a, a competitive drill. And after the drill, we all went out and had his stomach for out the front. And we got in a mess, and the principal of the school heard about it. But nothing was said. But I, uh, I wasn't very well that spring, and they took me out of school before school was over. And that son of the principal wrote to a father, and he always called me Ed. He didn't call me Ed, you know, Ed. He said, I don't think we can do anything more for us. Which meant that he was just a partner from school. So that fall, my father said, you're going to work in the foundry. My father happened to be in the iron foundry, wasn't it? So I had to work that fall. And uh, I confined my drinking to Saturday night. Naturally, I had to get up at 6 o'clock and go down. I worked in the, as a motor helper, which is fairly rugged work, as you may know. And I did that for a year. And I confined the rest of my drinking to Saturday night, except around Christmas time and all the dances were going on. And then I really stepped out. And then I tried to go to work. I was drinking, was dancing, and getting down to work at 7 o'clock in the morning. But I was young, and just take it off and work it off by night. And I managed to get away with it for a while. But as I look back and remember those times, I wasn't a very successful drinker from the start. There were times, too, when I'd take some of the older guys around on me home. And other times I'd be climbing a chandelier at three or four drinks. I never knew what was going to happen. The fact of the matter is, when I was about 15 years old, I remember putting a lot of thought into this business of drinking because it was in my family. My brother drank pretty heavily, and my father did. And uh, I kind of figured if they drank that way, and it wasn't any good for them, and it was no good for me either because I was just about the same temperament as they were. But it was that first drink that I ever took on my own when I walked into the bar of the hotel tonight and all me and ordered a glass of beer all by myself and I was a big shot. And I still say that was the best glass of beer I ever tasted. Sometimes I can always taste it again. And somehow that just gave me just the same glow and the uh, beer was a lot stronger in those days and it was real beer. That was about 1914, I think.
I didn't. I lost half of it overnight on this 
the crash and the wreck by this and down the drain over a period of a year, year and a half. And we used to turn around Vermont, and I was there when I met Bill Wilson, but it was longer ago than 24 years ago. I first knew Bill about 1910, I went to school with him in 1912, which has taken us back quite a few years. And, yeah, there, to get back, I, we went to the summer in the mansion of Vermont. But after my father died, the house was vacant up there. We bought a house after all the years the father spent money at the hotel for all of us. He bought a house in 
said, do you remember the judge said, be seven? I said, yep, I'll be seven. So I went in the house, and I remember that down cellar I had about a half a dozen bottles of ale, and I know that they're going to be nice and cool. And there's one thing I like in this world, it's Valentine's Ale, and that was it. So I went down cellar, and I said to myself, I can't possibly get drunk between now and Monday on six bottles of ale. I know nobody in town can sell me anymore after they've heard that I, you know, how small the man's community is. Everybody from 10 miles up and down the valley knows all about anything like that. And I knew that any of the bootleggers wouldn't sell me any. And I got down and I reached one of those bars and, uh, I didn't crack it. So I like the judge said, you get that sober, but you'd be that sober. No, that's, that isn't, that's cheating, that's somehow. And I walked back upstairs, and I tried to double up to my shoulder, get up, go out down there and take it. I couldn't take that man in. I said, no, that's not, no, that, that's not the spirit of the thing. It might be technically, I'd have to go out and get that sober, I second it, but that's not, that's exactly what he meant. He didn't say don't take a drink, but that's exactly what he meant. So I took them and put them in a basket and tied them over to my next-door neighbor, and I said, here, they're yours. And that minute, I had a victory. I know that. I had something that was just like a weight being lifted from my shoulders. And I've often thought about it. In many years, when I started drinking again, why I couldn't recapture that feeling that I had then. But perhaps I could if the pink clouds and later on, you, you get a more mature, if I might use the word, outlook. But I don't think you, if you have a slip, you can ever go back again. Well, as it turned out, I went down on Monday, and there had been a third man come to see me, too. His name was Roland Hazard. Uh, he was a pretty slow gent, too. I never knew him. I never met him before. These other two guys I had. And he was there on Monday when I was brought for the judge. The judge started to me a little lecture, and he said, Hazard, will you uh, take this man? And he said, sure. So I was released from my own recognizance, and the charges were dropped. And this guy took me in, took me back home, left me there. And a few days later, I closed the house up, went down and stayed with him. He lived about 15 miles below, south of the town. And then we went on down to New York. And I stayed with Chuck Corner and one of his other chaps who come to see me. I stayed there about a month, I guess. And uh, during that time, we made trips back to Vermont, Hazard and I, and two weeks after I was connected with this action group, one of which is a much looser membership than Alcoholics Anonymous, I really think. And they got me out speaking. The first weekend that I went out speaking, we went up through Vermont. I spoke in a junior college, two churches, town meeting hall, and someplace else all in two nights. Two afternoons and two nights. And I still don't know what I talked about. But I just felt good about the whole thing and uh, really figured that these guys must have something. But there must be a higher power because they were the ones that originated the, the phrase, uh, believe in a higher God or a higher power as you understand him. And while I was doing this in 
and uh, going back to New York, I heard about Bill. I hadn't seen Bill, I don't believe, for over a year, although Bill, you see, was born and raised in a town six miles north of this town of Manchester, Vermont, where I used to summer. Also spent quite a few winters there. Uh, and I heard that Bill was in pretty tough shape, drinking bad, and I had been downtown in, the, in Wall Street and seen some of my old friends, one of whom I had built sister-in-law, and he said he was in tough shape, and he said, why don't you give him a ring on the telephone? And I said, well, I will, but I want to think this thing out a little. I got myself a pretty good story, a pretty good pitch to go to it. And I can truthfully say now that I believe that if I, that I went over there, if Bill would either go for it, lock, stock, and barrel, or he would have none of it. He wouldn't just play around with it for a little while. I thought that if he put his teeth into it once, he'd stick to it. Because I thought I knew him pretty well. I've been going to school with him and seen him over the years. So I called him up one night. I didn't get Bill, but I got lost. His wife and told her, what had happened to me that was much to try to show me something. Well, I don't even sober myself in about five, possibly six or seven weeks. But I think sometimes the initial effect that we get from a thing is we're more powerful then than we are later on. We get stale. Well, anyway, Lois said, why don't you to dinner tonight? And uh, then she mentioned the date. I said, fine. So that night I went over about half past five, I guess, in the evening. <coughs> and, uh, and I uh, rang the bell at 182 Clinton Street. The only person home was an old colored man named Green, who I've known for years. He'd been with the family. And Lois's family, that is. And he said, they're both out. Both Mrs. Wilson and Mr. Wilson are out. Come on in. So pretty soon better for and, uh, He's been drinking, but he wasn't too bad. And sort of low and this, that, and the other thing, and he's kind of aging around. Then he made an excuse. He had to go out and get some ice cream, something else for supper, and of course, I don't know what he's going after. I understand. I've done it so many times myself. So then Lois came in. And there was another girl invited. There was a girl invited because uh, she lived upstairs and had made the place. Apartment. So we all sat down at dinner, and Bill's got his little dog with him in the book about the gym across the kitchen table, but no made a difference. The idea is there. And we got dinner, and then we all moved upstairs, and those houses, and we were back there in the east, most of the living rooms on the second floor. So we moved up on the second floor, and after a little hammering and hawing, Laura said, Well, let's worry about yourself. So I started in. I guess they got me wound up, and I guess that's how she put me at 1 o'clock in the morning. And I remember Bill said I walked the subway with her. And I knew that he wasn't going to go for a drink, or if he had a bottle in the house anyway. And on the way over, he put his arms around my shoulder just before I went on the subway. He said, I don't want you got, kid, but you got something, and I want to get it. Well, he didn't stop drinking right away any more than I had stopped drinking. Back there that summer when we... I said, you boys kind of see me, but the idea was in there, and the idea happened to get in Bill's head. 
And at that time, I had moved to a mission in First Avenue and 23rd Street, New York. The city was run by Calvary Episcopal Church and called Calvary Mission. It was run under the auspices of this Oxford group. This is just a typical so-called Bowery Mission. We had 12 men who were running it, and uh, <coughs> we only had available beds for about 35 men, and they were full every night. So, and I was living there, and about two nights after I'd been over to see Bill, he appeared at the mission. Just as the meeting was about to start, and he had a guy in tow, and they were both visibly drunk. But not too bad, and long about... Tape over, please. Well, this was sometime late in November in 1934. And a few days later, the bill got himself a taxi cab and Tuesday bottles of beer and went up to Town's Hospital in Central Park West. And when I heard he was up there, I guess it was the next day, I went up to see him. Because I made up my mind that having Anonymous, we went back to that place and had our meeting 
was there up to about two years ago. The original Manhattan group. Now, of course, uh, Ohio, Cleveland, and one of the other cities, claim uh, that they are the original AA, but, uh, I don't know, I kind of dispute them a little bit. Because there was a clear succession right through from the Oxford group meetings until the time we broke off, the meetings went to Evan Bull's house, and then they went to Stanley Hall on 57th Street. And from there to Bert Taylor's shop on Fifth Avenue, we occupied one of the floors of the Taylor shop. And, uh, let's see, they, then there's a direct succession, but I don't care whether Coleman or anybody else claims this first group, it makes little difference, the thing got started. So, Bill and I, we were together a great deal that first winter, and then I went back to Albany in uh, 
lot of trouble. I went on record in the Texas Weather Bureau. I went down on the ranch, and I was well, working the chief with this man. He put me in as a troop man, and that's kind of rugged working, 95 degree days. And I got mixed up in a mild deal, and I sold some insurance stock, and every one of them flopped. Insurance company did almost. It's still struggling. They got back on its feet. And I got in another deal on that flop. I was sober a year, and one month after the year was up, I flopped. And that was in October 
and I think that you'll find that if you're having any trouble, you'll find help there. I want to thank Dick, and I want to thank the other members, and all you people who have entertained me, and I sure have enjoyed coming to Memphis. Thank you.